Welcome to the Rabbi Patrick Podcast, Episode 10, Everything is a Relationship. Well, you got me. I want to do another series of podcasts about Judaism. Uh, Instead of doing an 18-part series, which clearly, if you are counting, this is episode 10, so I didn't do all 18, I collapsed them in together. Uh, But instead of doing an 18-part series uh, on conversion, stuff like that, I'm going to do a three-part series. I think that's a bit more manageable these days. Uh, This is a three-part series on Jewish spirituality. You might say it's the religion of Judaism, although the word religion, you know, there's a lot sort of built into that, and, and people have trouble unpacking that. They hear the word religion, and they, they think, you know, well, that's doctrine and ideas. Maybe I believe that. Maybe I don't. Maybe I want to wrestle with it, uh, things like that. So instead, I'm going to focus on spirituality, so the core spiritual ideas within Judaism. And this series is dedicated to my friend Dana, who asked me to do a series on the Jewish religion, what it's all about, what does it mean, things like that. You might use the word pillars, which is a term we would borrow from Islam, which is a, the relig- one of the religions inspired by Judaism. Uh, so the question is, how do you get your own series? How do you get Rabbi Patrick to make a series of podcasts? Well, honestly, submit a donation. I'm trying to pay for a computer. Um, And you may be thinking to yourself, well, clearly you have a computer and you're putting these podcasts out, so what's the problem? Why do you need the GoFundMe page? Well, the computer I'm using, first of all, I'm not going to have it much longer. Um, Also, it's a computer that I shouldn't be using for podcasting. It's someone else's, um, and I need to have my own. So uh, if you could help me out with that, I would really appreciate it. You can go on GoFundMe. Uh, The link is in iTunes and Podbean and all the other places where you listen to this stuff. And uh, your support is greatly appreciated. So you give a donation, you get a podcast series. So that's nice how that works. So the entire series on Jewish spirituality is going to be three podcast episodes. This one is going to be about how everything is a relationship. I'd like to begin with what archaeologists believe was the start of the Jewish people. Now, this is different from the biblical narrative. So so for some people, this might be a little uncomfortable, things like that. It's important to recognize that truth and fact are oftentimes two different things. There is the fact of how the Israelites came to be, and there is the truth of how they understood themselves to be. Those are two different things. They're intimately connected based on experience. It's also important to remember that in spite of uh, as much effort as people have tried to put into it, Judaism is an Eastern religion. It is not a Western religion. Eastern religions have a different way of understanding storytelling um, than Western religions do. So the Eastern traditions don't have a problem with mythologizing. And so we need to be comfortable with that. And maybe I'll do a podcast episode about that sometime. Maybe one of you kind people out there will say, Hey, Rabbi Patrick, here's a GoFundMe. Go answer that question about Eastern religion and all that stuff. So I'd like to begin with what I believe um, archaeologists are telling us about the start 
of the ancient Israelites, which was the destruction of the city-state system. So, going back thousands of years, the first sort of system for organizing people was family. Family was mom, dad, kid. And really, that wasn't even true, because you probably had dad having lots of children with lots of women. Scientists today are now saying that, oh, ho, 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 it's not just the guys, that actually women, probably one woman would have uh, lots of relationships with lots of men. So it wasn't just a one-sided um, polygamist uh, type of relationship that actually women as well were going off and, and trying to uh, create offspring with, with more men. In any case, that family unit was the beginning of everything. And that makes sense, right? Because that's just sort of what's here, right? You, uh, uh, The Geico caveman and cavewoman make cave baby. <laughs> and that's the power structure, right? And then it expands out from there. So you go from having a small family, biologically connected that way, and then you, you grow up bigger and bigger, and you have a larger family, until eventually you have a clan. And a clan is all the aunts, the uncles, uh, all of their spouses, all of the spouses, family. I'm using the word spouse loosely because we don't really know what ancient people's concepts of marriage were um, if it predated writing. So, uh, But nonetheless, you had these uh, you know, families of families of families, and eventually that built up the clan. So then you get a bunch of clans together, and you have a tribe. And that's that you have tribes. And if you want to learn more about tribes, a great way to do it is to read the Hebrew Bible. The Hebrew Bible talks a lot about different kinds of tribes. Midianites, Moabites, Israelites, etc., etc. These are all tribes. Tells you how old these stories are. That the tribe is understood to be the central um, authority in life until we expand out to include the temple and all these other things. So let's talk about that expansion. As agriculture grew, there was a need for a bureaucracy, right? Because we had, for the first time, we had people who were taking on very specific roles. We had jobs that were being created for people to fulfill its specification, right? So you didn't have everybody farming. You didn't have everybody gathering. You didn't have everybody hunting. This is the start of the economy. So what happens in a sophisticated common, uh, economy, I was about to say comedy, a sophisticated comedy, um, a sophisticated economy is that people take on specific roles, right? So you have one guy who farms. Yes, he's farming. He's got some people helping him. This person over here raises animals. This person over here fishes. This person uh, over here makes uh, clothing, whatever the case may be. And now we have this thing where we barter with each other. Maybe we have a unit of currency of some kind. Okay, so from there, we have the beginning of an economy. And we go bigger, bigger, bigger until we get to something called a city-state. So a city-state has a king or some other kind of ruler, has some sort of bureaucracy, advisory board, whatever the case may be, and then everyone else below it. And there's usually a priestly class within there. There's an artisan, uh, artisan class in there. There's uh, people who write, scribes, whatever the case may be. So you have this system. If you want to get to know what that sort of thing looked like, 
Um, I think that ancient Egypt is a very good way of understanding that um, because there's a lot of uh, text that talks about what the bureaucracy of Egypt was like. So take a look at that sometime. But for the sake of the Israelites, we are talking about Canaanite and Babylonian city-state system. There was an intense amount of fighting. There was always one group fighting another group for power. And as best as we can tell right now from archaeology, the people that we would later call the Israelites were a group of Canaanites who broke off from the city-state system. And they were a motley group of people. They were um, what we might think of sort of, frankly, rednecks. They were people who just, they were marginalized within the economy. Uh, some of them probably weren't the greatest people in the world. And they broke off, and they ran into the hills, and they started their own society. Um, and this was a confederation of different tribes together within this sort of rejection of the city-state system. And so that's why we have in the stories in the Bible this idea of the Benjaminites and the Israelites and the uh, Judahites. And it looks like uh, the refrigerator in my extended stay hotel has all of a sudden turned off. Awesome. Great. I'm on a, a work trip and I'm staying in an extended stay hotel, which is normally not what I'm into. But uh, it was what was available. So sorry, I guess you're going to have to listen to a rumbling uh, refrigerator in the background. So, oh well, it is what it is. Anyway, uh, so we have all of these different tribes uh, they are talked about in the Bible. And that sort of comes out of the historical reality that the Israelites were people who confederated together, right? Because it's if you have lots of people sort of, <laughs> uh, let's say, um, you know, keeping your back, right? They got your back. Uh, then you're probably going to do a lot better than if you're on your own. So that's where we think historically the Israelites came from, was from this break off of the city-state system. So why do you suppose that happened? And what does that have to do with Jewish spirituality? It's very interesting that if you look in the Torah, if you look in the five books of Moses, and you look at the legal sections, so not all of the Torah is just laws on laws. But there are sections that deal with laws. If you look at those laws, a lot of them are counterproductive to the economy. So things like you aren't able to make interest-bearing loans. Um, another good one. Uh, you have to, uh, every seventh year, you have to allow the land to rest. So you're, com you're basically cutting your agricultural output by 15% immediately. Um, people are allowed to sell themselves into slavery or people uh, who commit uh, horrible offenses against you uh, become your slaves, but in the sabbatical year you have to let them go. Um, and there are cities of refuge, by the way, where if you do something wrong, you're accused of doing something wrong, excuse me, you can flee there and no one can touch you. There are all of these different things that are in the Torah that are counterproductive to a city-state system. I believe, and I think that there are scholars who believe this, it's because the ancient Israelites rejected the city-state. They did not see it as something that worked. They came out of a tradition that was nomadic. They came out of a tradition that was uh, 
oriented towards uh, animal husbandry. Uh, they had problems with agriculture. They did it, but they had problems with it. I think that we see that in the Cain and Abel story, right? So one is the farmer, the other is the shepherd. And we notice that the shepherd is the one who God loves more. Perhaps there's something to that. So what does any of this mean? I think that the ancient Israelites rejected the city-state system, and they hoped for something better. And I believe that the earliest parts of the Torah, so the earliest parts of law, the earliest parts of the telling of the Jewish story, have this thread of the rejection of the city-state built within them. And I think it's what informed what would become Jewish spirituality. One of the things that people tend to believe happens when an economy is good, when society is moving forward, when progress, however you define that, is happening, is that we lose fundamental relationships. So look at the number of people who are convinced that as the economy has soared and gotten better, and I know we're coming out of a recession, so it's hard to talk about you know the good times are ahead, but remember that we're doing better now than people did 50 years ago, 100 years ago, 150 years ago. Things are always getting better all the time through technological advancement. Uh, but what is the downside to that, right? What is the downside to having everything that you want? Often, people will say, we lose human relationships. Think about your neighborhood where you live. Do you know your next door neighbors? Do you know the people across the hall from you, down the street from you? Do you know their kids? Do your kids and their kids play together? Do they necessarily go to school together? Have you ever had your boss over for dinner at your house? These are things that not too long ago were pretty common. People went to Elks Lodges or knitting groups, or church groups, or synagogue groups, or they uh, were actively involved in their local politics. These kinds of human connections were very, very normal. Think about a blind date. We don't even have blind dates anymore. You can Google whoever your date is going to be. The only way you could absolutely have a blind date is if you knew nothing about the individual at all, period. Can't even know their name. Because think about it. If, if someone set, wants to set you up on a date and they say, you should really meet my friend Kevin, what do you do? You go on their Facebook, you search for every Kevin that is in their friend uh, in their friend feed, you look at all the Kevins, and you find the Kevin that you think that person is, is talking about, and you already have started stalking them, right? <laughs> right? But um, in any case, you know, we, we have lost, some people think, this one-on-one -on -one connection with people, or this group community connection. There's a book called Bowling Alone that talks about this, the idea that these uh, social groups have essentially ceased to exist. Now, you can agree with that, disagree with that, whatever, but that is nonetheless a belief that people have as technology advances, as the economy advances, as things become more sophisticated. The very simple, fundamental uh, relationship of human beings together withers away. There are all kinds of other places where you can see that throughout history, this is something that people talk about. The reaction against the market economy is to say, yes, but we have lost our humanity. And I think that if you look at the texts of the ancient Israelites, that is what they were talking about.
So how does that belief that we are losing our relationships as the world becomes more sophisticated manifest itself spiritually? It manifests, it, it manifests itself in monotheism. The belief that there is one power in the universe and that we have a covenant, a breed, we, a relationship with this oneness. So you think about what the other side of that is, is the idea of the gods, and every god has their locality, right? So if you have gods in Babylon, it's not the same as the gods in Egypt, it's the same as the gods uh, in wherever, right? Gods are local, they have local control. Um, they control whatever their little thing is, so the harvest, birth, war, whatever. And these gods often fight with each other, and we have to perform these rituals to appease these gods, to keep them happy, uh, or to get something from them. So I'm going to offer you my grain, and in return you're going to give me a better harvest, or I'm going to sacrifice my firstborn son, and in return you're going to give me more sons. This is the religion from which the Israelites came out of. And to tell you the truth, I'm part of the sort of class of... Uh, amateur scholars who thinks that it actually took a while for us to break from that. I think, by the way, we are still trying to break from that. I think we are still convinced that the gods are mad at us um, and that it's that monotheism is actually very hard, that it has a very, very uh, difficult underpinning, which is that if there's only one power in the world, then when bad things happen, well, you don't have that other god to blame. Monotheism is incredibly challenging in that way. And my refrigerator just turned off. Awesome. So the idea that monotheism, one, one entity, one spirit, one force, exists in the universe means you have one relationship. And this relationship requires something called fidelity, oneness. I think about people that I know who uh, are coupled in some way, and the fact that uh, every couple has their own rules, right? Every marriage, every partnering has a, a set of rules. So things like uh, you can only have relations. Sorry, clean podcast. I have to use kind of words like that. You can only have relations uh, with me, right? Like, I'm the, the partner saying that. You know, it's just, it's us. We're, we're monogamous. Mono. Monotheism, monogamous. Just us. That's it. Um, and maybe that extends not only to our bedroom, but it also extends to uh, walking down the street. You can't look at someone of the gender that you're attracted to, right? Because that's, that I am a jealous person, and you can't do that, right? Um, now, other couples... It doesn't work that way. Other couples say, you know, you can, you, you know, you can sort of go a little bit over here, right? But you can't cross this line, right? Um, or I don't mind if you do that activity. Just don't do this activity, right? You can go out with your buddies and you can go to a club and you can do whatever there. But when you come home, it's all about me, right? Things like that. Or I don't care what images you look at on the internet as long as you, you know, close the laptop when it's our time. 
So those are different kinds of relationships just between people. And some of those rules make a lot of sense, right? Monogamy makes sense. Um, there are other rules that maybe don't make sense. You know, you're not allowed to check someone out when they walk down the street. Well, I mean, that doesn't hurt anybody. It's just a quick glance, whatever, right? There are some couples that would say, no, if you do that, that is a moral transgression. There are other couples who say, oh, psh, come on, you know, whatever. You're going to look at someone who's attractive, not a big deal, right? So the question is, who's right in that? Which relationship is correct? Is it the relationship that says, you better not look at that person walking down the street? Or is it the one who says, you know what, I know you're going to do that anyway, not a problem. And by the way, if you want their phone number, you can have that too, right? And those are two kinds of relationships that exist. Dan Savage uh, has done a great job of letting us know that that other kind of relationship exists. Um, so which one is right? Which one is correct? Which one is, is the one that we're supposed to do? Well, if you're in one of those kinds of relationships, that's the price of admission, right? Those are the rules within that relationship. And if you are one couple looking at the other, you're going to say, well, well, that's strange. That's weird. That doesn't make sense. Uh, that, that's not the way it's supposed to be, whatever the case is. But that's the thing about fidelity. Fidelity teaches that you have a set of rules and you follow them, and that the sort of net output is greater than what you lose, so to speak. Another way of looking at it is the music business. So you have, if you're, if you're lucky enough to have an agent, if you're a rock band, you have an agent. Um, if you're lucky enough to be in that set of circumstances, the agent books your shows, but then your agent takes a cut of the money that you make from playing your gig, right? So it's a broker type of relationship. So you could say, well, how dare that person take my money? I'm the one playing the show. Well, here's the thing, though, right? You wouldn't have gotten that gig had it not been for uh, the booking agent, right? So that's a relationship, and that relationship has a set of rules, and you follow those rules, and you get to maintain the relationship. That is what monotheism is all about. It's maintaining a relationship. So what are the rules in the Bible about? These strange things about, you know, you can't eat pork and, uh, you know, you can't lie and cheat and steal. And then there's something about how you can't wear wool and linen at the same time. What, what is all this crazy stuff? That, that's just a relationship. Those are the rules of a relationship. There are probably crazy rules in your relationship. You cannot leave dishes in the sink. Well, I mean, what happens if you leave dishes in the sink? Come on, it's not a big deal, unless it is, right? You better not do my laundry, because if you do my laundry for me, it's all going to get messed up, right? That may seem crazy. Of course I should do your laundry. I should help out. You're busy at work, whatever. No, that's the relationship. The relationship has rules. Monotheism has rules. We do these things not out of fear, we don't do these things because we're convinced that God is going to destroy us if we don't. We don't believe that God is angry. We have a relationship. Relationships have rules. And if you pay the price of admission, you get to experience the glory of that relationship. We believe in a oneness to the universe. And we want to have a relationship to that oneness. What else do relationships have? Well, relationships have moments of celebration. You know, I'm going to go and celebrate your birthday. 
Um, but it's a different kind of birthday. When I celebrate my wife's birthday, it's different than when I celebrate my friend's birthday. It takes on a stronger spiritual connection. It takes on uh, a romantic uh, uh, feeling. It takes on something that is, is greater than just the fact that, well, you know, on this day, your mom uh, was busy. Uh, at the hospital, and Dad was, you know, outside smoking uh, cigars and drinking brandy. <laughs> I don't think it works that way anymore. It should work that way. I, I think it would be a better world if it worked that way. I'm kidding, of course. Um, but, you know, so what? You were born that day. Who cares, right? But you celebrate that because... By celebrating that birthday, you're actually celebrating the relationship. You're saying, you know, I believe in this relationship. I believe in you. I want to honor you. Of course, the most common celebration within a relationship is the anniversary, right? This is the anniversary of us consecrating our relationship by saying, we're in this until the wheels fall off, right? That is a moment of celebration within a relationship. So how do we do that? within a monotheistic Jewish spiritual framework in two ways. We have life cycle and we have holidays. Since we believe that we are in relationship to God, to the universe, to the divine, yud heh vav heh, whatever word you want to use. Because we believe we are in this relationship, we need to celebrate this relationship. And there's lots of ways we do it. Um, I'm going to start by talking about holidays. So holidays don't just include Passover, Shavuot, Hanukkah, whatever. Um, they also include Shabbat, right? So every week we have a holiday celebrating a relationship. Then we have monthly, or excuse me, we have monthly holidays like Rosh Chodesh, the head, the beginning of the month. And then we have yearly holidays. So we have Rosh Hashanah, Yom Kippur, Simchat Torah, Sukkot, um, Passover, Pesach, whatever the case may be. So we have these holidays, further and further celebrations of relationship. Just like an anniversary, just like celebrating a spouse's, partner's, boyfriend's, girlfriend's birthday. Now, this relationship is not one-sided. It's not just us celebrating the relationship to divinity. We also celebrate the relationship that exists within our life to each other through the divine. And this is the life cycle. This is where we celebrate birth, where we celebrate the maturity of a child into adulthood. It's where we celebrate the consecration of relationship through marriage. And it's also how we celebrate death, which we believe is part of a relationship. It's, it's a sad one, but it's nonetheless part of the deal of life. It's what we get in this relationship. We get a, uh, a finite amount of time on this earth, and so we, we honor that. We honor that as being part of the relationship. So relationships have moments of celebration, holidays, Shabbat, and the life cycle. Now... Relationships aren't always perfect all the time, right? Sometimes you're going to fight with your spouse, boyfriend, girlfriend. Uh, maybe there's going to be strain. Maybe, you know, we, we transgress. We have things that we don't do quite right. And it's not all on us when it comes to 
uh, our relationship to the divine, right? It's not just, you know, Yom Kippur, we screwed up, we tap our chests, uh, we starve ourselves, and then we go eat uh, too much at the, <laughs> the buffet afterwards, right? There are, there are times of tension and strain that come from God's side as well. So in contemporary Jewish life, it's the Holocaust. Probably the single greatest strain in uh, at least modern Jewish history, if not all of Jewish history. Um, because we haven't still, to this day, figured out how to deal with it. I think that the Holocaust right now is, is a, a burden on us that we still have not lifted. We have not figured out how we're going to handle it. And it's happened in the past a long time ago now. That's a moment of tension and strain in the relationship. We are God's people, and yet God allowed us to go to the gas chamber. That is a moment of extreme strain and tension. The Bible has a really good story about this tension and this strain. It's the book of Job. It's a really amazing piece of existential literature. It talks about what it's like when God puts you in a circumstance that you don't want to be in. And then at the end of the book, chastises you. It's a, it's a tough read if you really put yourself into it. It's a tough read. It's a short read, though. It's only about four chapters, if I remember correctly. But relationships have moments of tension and strain. They also have moments of reconciliation. So while we have these dark moments in history and these dark moments in literature, we also have moments where great things happen, where we overcome adversity. We do that through the strength of having the other where we have this divine whom we can lean on. There are times when we are at our worst and we, we ask God, we say, you know, help me through this. Give me, give me something to work with here. And God pulls through. And so that's a moment when blessings come into our life. That's part of a relationship as well. And sometimes relationships ask us to leave our egos behind. It's not all about us. It's not even all about the relationship itself. Jonah is a really great book about that. Uh, tikkun olam, the idea of repairing the world. That's a great uh, idea about leaving your ego behind so that you can have a better relationship. To be spiritually Jewish today, we must have relationships. The truth of the matter is that that's how the Bible starts. Yeah, there's the idea of creation and the animals and all of that. But really, the Bible starts with stories about the interaction between God and people. Adam, Eve, Cain, Abel, Noah. Right? That's the, that's the beginning. Right? Then it becomes even more and more about people. We get into to, uh, Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, uh, Joseph, all of that, the toldot genre, the generational genre, till we get to Moses. And it isn't until we get way into Moses that we finally get, really, law, which is what we think of in Judaism. We think it's all about the law. It's not. It's actually about the Am. It's about the people. There are, in fact, some scholars who say that God deliber deliberately uh, fades away throughout the Jewish story, that when you get to books like Ruth and Esther, where God is not a, a parent, it shows a, a stream of consciousness of God being deliberately taken out of the text. 
and human relationships actually being propped up more and more. Now, I don't necessarily believe that because what we know is that these stories are actually an amalgamation of different stories over time, and where they fit into the the text, into the canon, into the codex, uh, codex I should say, um, uh, is not necessarily deliberate. I don't think. Um, I don't think that the uh, Zadokite priests who redacted the Torah, and then uh, later uh, later sages who put stories together and made commentaries and all of this uh, necessarily had that idea in mind. But nonetheless, relationship stays, right? Even if you believe that God is deliberately fading into the background, um, God nonetheless is in front, and human relationships uh, are part of that too. So let's talk finally about what do these relationships mean to us right here, right now, no fooling. We have to have a relationship to God. We have to have a relationship to the other, to each other, and we have to have a relationship to earth, to our home. We have a relationship to God through doing mitzvot, commandments. Commandments sound really rough, right? I, I think of mitzvot not as commandments the way that we think of law, right, like pay your taxes and things like that, but rather about uh, opportunities for holiness, or another way of looking at it, sacred acts, or acts that are amplified. So doing a good deed is like playing an acoustic guitar, right? So you have the acoustic guitar, it's a box, wood box, has some strings on it, and you can strum it, and it, it'll sound loud if it's the built right, and it'll it'll project out a little bit. Meets vote, commandments, same exact acts, good deeds, whatever the case may be, but that's like an electric guitar plugged into a Fender amp that's huge, and when you barely touch that thing, and it's got all the pedals and all that cool stuff, you sound like the edge from U2. Like, you barely touch the thing, and like 16 chords all play at once. That's a that's like a guitarist joke that like the edge from YouTube barely does anything because he has forty guitar pedals that just make everything sound a lot bigger and fuller than they really are. Um, but that's what it is. A, a mitzvah is a good deed that is souped up by the power of the universe. So we have a relationship to God through mitzvot. We do mitzvahs, we project them at God, and it's like a mirror and it comes back at us. Positive psychology, when you do good things, when you smile, when you get through life in a happy way, you become happy. Happiness is not something that happens to you, it's a choice that you make. So, do good deeds, be happy, do your mitzvot, and the mitzvahs uh, will have a kind, uh, mitzvot will have a power that is incredible in your life, I promise. So how do we have a relationship to each other? Well, we have that through loving kindness. Visit people in the hospital. Buy dinner for your friend. Call your mother. At the end of the day, it's all about calling your mother. We have to be good to each other. Even if you don't believe in religion, the least you can do is be good to others. And the truth of the matter is, if you don't believe in God, you have to be. Because there's nobody else. There's nothing else. Complete moral agency is on you. Atheism is actually 
um, uh, a more challenging thing because it means you have to do something. The benefit of someone like myself who believes in God is that I can blame God for my problems. <laughs> You're all on your own. <laughs> in any case, <laughs> acts of loving kindness, being good to each other. Uh, the Torah has some ideas about how that works. Um, you know, think about that a little bit. We also have to have a relationship to the earth. The first commandment given is about taking care of the earth. Adam is asked to order and guard the garden. The garden is not this jungle with Flintstones characters riding on dinosaurs who, you know, only ate vegetables until the fall of man, at which point, you know, everything goes downhill. Um, it's actually more like the Baha'i Gardens in uh, Haifa. It's this very orderly, structured, uh, manicured, curated space. And that's what we do with the earth, right? And you can see that when we look at cities, right? You have zoning and you have roads and parks and all that. We, we already are in a mindset to organize. The problem is, are we caring for it at the same time? We're good at, you know, we're good at uh, structuring things. We're good at, at building things. We're good at organizing and, and ordering things. But is the caring aspect being done as well? It's all about relationships. Relationships require fidelity. They require celebration. They have moments of tension and strain. They require us to leave our egos behind. To be spiritual today, to be Jewish today, is to talk about relationships. Relationships to God, relationships to each other, and relationships to our home. Stay tuned for episode 11, the second part of the three-part series on Jewish spirituality. Thanks a lot for listening.